Alright, uh, let's start by reading the passage first. Uh, we will start by reading John chapter 5 verses 1 to 17 and then we'll, today we will focus in on verses 10 to, the, the, sorry, 10 to 12. And so we we'll start by reading first John chapter 5 verses 1 to 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, where there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another step down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jew said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who asked, who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Say no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had hit him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Now we shall read through uh, verses 10 and 10 to 12, and then we shall zoom in and look at these three verses. Uh, sorry, yeah, these three verses today. Uh, so John chapter 5, verse 10, it says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? So as we start off with verse 10, we see that after the poor man being, after he has been healed by Jesus, he came across this group of Jews, saw him while carrying his bed. This group of Jews saw him carrying his bed. And so by saying this, they charged him with something. They charged him and told him that it is an unlawful act. Something to note, first of all, this group of Jews, 
we do not know who they are. They might be the magistrate, they might be part of the Sanhedrin. In other sense, this group of Jews might very well help authority and power to punish this man for his wrongdoing per se in doing this unlawful act or perceived, perceivably unlawful act to do work on the Sabbath. Or, on the other hand, they could have been common Jews, they could have just been common men, laymen, without any power, without any authority to punish this man. All they can do is to inform the authorities about what this poor man is doing. First of all, before we get into anything, I think it's commendable for this group of Jews. It's commendable, first of all, that they are willing to point out a sin that they see is so-called unlawful, something that is against the will of God. Though we don't agree, we might not agree with what they say regarding the Sabbath, but I think to put ourselves into their shoes, what they have perceived this man to be doing is unlawful. I think nonetheless, uh, in a very similar manner, they have the heart of Nehemiah. They are jealous for the honor of the Sabbath and afraid of profane and are afraid of profaning the Sabbath itself. And when we come to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 17, we see this. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing? profaning the Sabbath. They have this heart of fear and of awe for this holy day that the Lord has set apart. But yet they do not recognize, first of all, who gave this man the authority to do so. They do not question so much of, they're not so much about, they're not so concerned about who gave this man the right to do this. But they are more concerned about this act being done on the Sabbath. So it's commendable in that sense. And so when it comes to ourselves, when it comes to Christian today, this is an issue that is quite rampant today. Many of us do not care about Sabbath in that sense. Or in today, we don't really, we're not really concerned about Sabbath, but we're, concerned, we're more concerned about the Lord's Day. How many of us are jealous for the Lord's Day as much as this group of Jews? Yes, we might say that it's a legalistic stance. But nonetheless, we are called to do something on the Lord's Day. We are called together. Are we so concerned about the Lord's Day itself as much as how the Jews here had concern for the Sabbath? Unlawful acts are, in a way, forbidden as much as possible during the Sabbath. What about on Lord's Day? Are we not as concerned of our Lord's Day? Are we, do we not hold as high of an honor for our Lord's Day? Are we not jealous for the Lord's Day? That is something for us to think a bit about, how we are spending our Lord's Day. Because I think as youth, as you know, people living in Singapore, we are in a constant struggle between the church and the world. What do I mean by that? In the sense that, well, often of times what happens is that we have friends who wants to do projects on Sundays, we have friends who want to hang out on Sundays. Well, I think very much so because Sunday it seems to be the best day when so called everyone is free. But isn't there a duty that a Christian have 
on Sundays, is there not a duty that we are called to do on Sundays? That is the first thing that I wanted to contemplate a bit about more. How do we see the Lord's Day itself? The second thing, are we, do we dare to point out the sins or the wrongdoing of others? Yes, uh, I, 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 will, I will talk a bit more about how you know, the Jews themselves is, is wrong. But nonetheless, we take note here that when this group of Jews, when they see something that is unlawful, when something that is displeasing to the Lord, or at least that's what they perceive, they're active in doing that. They're acting in, active in pointing out what is wrong. You see, they have no fear, you know, in that sense. They are no, they're not afraid of how this man will react. But they are concerned. They have a bit of, they show their concern that they have for the Lord. They show that they are zealous for the Lord. That they do not want the Lord to be profaned. So do we have that today also? When we see something, some act that in our brothers and sisters, which is wrong. And what do we do? Do we just cover it up? Do we just ignore it? Or do we sort of confront it? Of course, there must be wisdom in confronting our brothers and sisters regarding their sins. However, the question comes to, do we do it? Are we so-called active in helping our brothers and sisters in their sin to help them see their sins which they might that they themselves might not even see? So there's two things for us to think a bit more about in verse 10. Going to verse 11, we see how this man replied to the Jews. He justified himself by proclaiming that he had been given a warrant that he could bear this burden. In the sense that he said that there was a man who took him to take up his bed and walk. He might have very well contemplated about the law and how he should not carry his bed at the point when Jesus spoke to him. But yet, he is faced with someone who well, he was convinced of being sent by God. This poor man must be convinced that Jesus is sent by God. He was given an undeniable truth of divine power from Christ and learns that Christ has authority. First of all, we see that Christ has the authority over sickness, has the authority over illnesses where he is able to heal this poor man. And so, does he not then have the authority to call him to do something? And he rejects doing. The same guy who healed him calls him to take up his bed and walk. Dare he not obey this command that was given to him? You know, when we go back to verse 8, we see something quite interesting also. In verse 8, when we contrast verse 8 and verse 11, verse 11 separates the two, oh, sorry, he included one more part of it, which is the healing part. But you see verse 8, it says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And then before that, there was a healing done by Christ. So we see that two dimensions right there. First of all, the man is healed. Then the second part comes in. The second part being a command that the man ought to obey. So this is rather interesting when, when we look at it this way. In a sense, it almost reflects as our salvation in a sense. We are not called to obey first, then we are saved or we are healed. But in this very case, when Christ calls this man to work, calls this man 
to do something. He heals him first. He heals him. He helps him from his from his illness, or in our case, grants him salvation. And then he calls him to work out the commands that he has given him. Well, in a very similar manner today, as Christians, we always think about how we can only receive salvation when we act it out, when we are living out our our lives as Christians, when we are working out our salvation. But not so, not so much here. The argument is very different here. Jesus did not ask him to do anything before he was healed. Jesus did not command him or grant him the ability to enter into the pool to be healed. Jesus healed him, a simple, without really saying much in the, in the first place. He did not say anything about healing. He just simply said, get up. He healed him and commanded him to take up his bed and walk. And this man obeyed. This man obeyed. So what about ourselves? I think as Christians, we will, we will definitely say that we have been healed, we have been saved. But how often do, after being saved, are we willing to obey the commandments of Christ? You see, this man did it. We see that this man did it. He was not so much concerned about what the world thinks, what other might think. But he knew who Christ is. And with that knowledge, he went on doing and obeying what Christ has told him. What about ourselves then? Are we like him that once we are saved and since we are saved and also because we are saved, we go on doing the will of the Lord? There's something for us to think a bit more about. Verse 12, coming to verse 12. We see the, the Jews asking this man again, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? The Jews are curious, you know, they wanted to know who this who this man gave him the warrant. I think this is sort of understandable. I mean, if we are so-called so-called stopped by a police officer in the street, sometimes we will imagine who gives who gives the police officer the right. Uh, we might not think of it because it is well, it's explicit in the sense that the government gave him the right. They are they are law enforcers, right? So he has the rights, he has the warrants to so-called question us. What about this for this man's case? <clears throat> How does the Jew know who gave him this, who gave this man the rights to carry his bed on the Sabbath? But yet there's something interesting here. There's two parts to this, to the poor man's statement. Two parts. First part, the man who healed me. Second part, the man said to me this thing. The Jews focused on the second half and they missed out a wonderful opportunity where they could have met with Jesus, where they could have a foundation to know Christ. Instead of asking the correct question in that sense, instead of asking the question of who is this man who had healed me, they asked the question, who is this man who said to you? They neglected altogether what Christ had done on this poor man. Because they were focused, they were so intensely focused on capturing this Jesus that they have perceived to do something that is wrong. They overlooked an opportunity, they missed an opportunity of having a great founding of their faith, a ground which they could have 
had reflected more upon more about Christ. But what they wanted to know was to who is this man who gave <coughs> who is this man who gave the right to this poor man to break the law. And so that brings me back to the first point that I brought up today, uh, that I brought up just now in verse 10. Yes, we should be so-called actively seeing the sins of our brothers and sisters and to help them out. I think that might be an intention of the Jews in the first place. But are we so actively trying to seek out and pinpoint out the faults of the faults of the people that we are where we neglect certain aspect of it? Yes, for the case of this man, well, we can argue that it is different. He was speaking to Christ. And the Jews themselves have a misunderstanding of Sabbath. So when they question Christ, uh, when they question this man, uh, they miss the opportunity to speak to Christ. But we don't have that today in the sense that it's very unlikely that we speak to a man that seems rather like he seems as though he has done something wrong, but he's actually sent by God. Then in a sense, we are wrong. It doesn't really happen that much today. But I think what, what is to point out is the intentions that a person might have behind it and not just see on the surface level of what this man might be doing. Because very much, very well, this man might not be saying. I think one example that comes off the head would be tattoos, you know, in the sense of tattoos. Tattoos is a very grey area, you know. On the, on the surface, I think in, as Chinese, we see tattoos as a very taboo thing. Once we see a tat tattoo, it's like, oh, that guy is not a good man at all. But in the scripture, it's a very gray, I will assert that it's a very gray area. Yes, we shouldn't have tattoos if we want to be strict. But isn't that being a too isn't that being too legalistic in some sense? To say that, oh, everyone that has a tattoo is bad in that aspect. Do we not see beyond the surface level and see what might be going on in the person's life? What might have happened to the person? You know, for this case, the Jews did not even ask, why are you carrying a bit? What were you doing before that? They're not even curious to find out what kind of illness did he have that he was healed from. Maybe, maybe the Jews themselves will really know who this man was. But that calls into question even more. Why knowing that this man cannot walk and now walking and carrying his bed today do the Jews not ask this man? What changed you? How are you healed? Why suddenly you are able to walk around with your carrying your bed, with the strength to carry your bed? The Jews did not ask that. The Jew was more concerned with the sins, a quote unquote sin that this man has committed to take up his bed and work during the Sabbath. So going back to our, going back to modern day, are we seeing the surface of is the surface the surface level of sin of our brothers and sisters? Or do we go beyond that and are we concerned about what might have happened to them? Yes, the sin itself, some of them might be explicit, some of them might be outright a sin in the scriptures. But some sins are grey. Some sins are we perceive it, we might perceive it as a sin, but it might not very well not be a sin. But the scriptures are not super clear on every single sin. It's not a, like a list. It doesn't really give us a 
full list of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, like how we have in our laws. So are we concerned with finding out more about them? Or are we just going to come out with a judgment and say, hey, you're doing something wrong and the person that told you to do this is wrong also, and we're just going to sweep under the dust. So it's something for us to think a bit more about as people of Christ. Are we so busy condemning people so much that we forget to ask them or to find out more and to ask them more about their own lives and their own works? Next few things, we recognize that this group of Jews saw Christ as only a mere man. Something that is very sad. They have even given proof of miraculous work done on this man, yet they were con uh they, they were unwilling to believe what man is this. The limitation of convincing proof and reasoning that no matter how much they see, they will not believe Christ to be the Son of God. Um, this is something that is very sad. Um, this group of people see Christ as a mere man. They are not convinced even by proof. Uh, this whole issue of being convinced by proof is surprisingly something that is quite rampant today. Uh, I did talk about, I, will, I will be talking about it with my friends for the next episode of the LBCF. But in today's day and age, the whole idea of evidence and the whole idea of proving God is a very rampant idea. You know, in this, in this, in this part, in this aspect for verses 10 to 12, uh, the proof is given that the man is huge, but the Jews themselves overlooked it. They either overlooked it or they chose to ignore it. They chose to not care about this proof. And so this is something that is very similar to us today. Many of times what we try to do when we speak to people about Christ, when we try to tell people about Christ, we try to give them this kind of con convincing proof. Oh, Christ healed me from my illness. I think this is some more of a topic that we talked about before in church. Christ healed me from my illness. Christ has done this miraculous deed in my life. Christ helped me to get a thousand dollars. Christ helped me to do well in my business. Christ helped me to, to study well. I was able to grant good marks. This is really helping us to evangelize. Something that we ought to call into questions. Yes, this might very well be the working of God helping us in the background. But Will people really believe us because of this? We see here that no matter what kind of proof and what kind of con convincing evidence that we might have for the Jews, the Jews did not believe. You know, throughout the whole scriptures, the Jews themselves might even see what Christ had done, yet they do not believe. Yet they choose not to believe with the evidence that they are given. In today, in modern day and age, evidence in apologetics is a very rampant thing. We always like to give evidence to prove that Christianity is true. We like to give evidence that the scripture is true. We always like to give evidence that whatever Christ did was true. It's possible at least. You know, we try to give evidence about how Noah Ark was seen in the world in different areas in geography or whatnot. But does it matter ultimately for non-believers, no matter how much evidence we give them, can they not find other so-called evidence 
to prove against it. I think this is very much true. This is very much possible. Is our faith then built upon evidence that can be given in archaeology, in geography, in history? Is our faith built upon that? Is our faith built upon the word? This is something for us to so-called wrestle with the balance between evidence and the scriptures. But ultimately, I would say that scripture must triumph over us, our lives, over evidence. It's definitely for us to, to be careful about, for us to think about more. Second point about these Jews, they, join, they even jump to a conclusion that Christ was not only a mere man, but he was a bad man. They do not look upon the saving of saving of Christ as a divine commission. They do not see it as, as a divine commission, but one which may might may so-called sabotage this man to commit a sin. And in the end they persecute this man of Jesus. What do I mean by that? As mentioned before, when we look back in verse 8, we see that there's two aspects of it. One aspect of it, which is this man getting healed, and another aspect of it is this man being commissioned or commanded to do something. But this doing something, take up your bed and walk. Sin, as two, there's two ways of saying it. As a Christian, you must say, wow, this is a divine commission. This is the duty that this man has been called to do by Christ. But from a worldly perspective, or even from the perspective of the Jews, this man is an idiot. <laughs> Why is he calling this guy to go against the flow of our society and to do something that we might see as evil, as wrong, goes against our conscience? You see, this is very much true in the world today when we as Christians are going around preaching the gospel we are when we have been commissioned to do something by Christ when we are saved. And go around telling people things like that. And what does what do the worldly people say to us? You guys are brainwashing the people. Why are you guys doing this? The worldly people might say that, oh, you're doing this because you are you're doing this you're doing this mission or you're doing this evangelism simply because you want more people in your church to get more money. This is a common sin that we see in the world today. This is how people perceive Christians as today. We are seen as the group of people that goes against the flow of society, goes against the thought, it challenges the thought, it challenges the right of individuality. Christians are known as bigots in America simply because they do not agree with the LGBTQ movement. You know, the, whole, the whole idea of abortions Christians are also charged for that. Why are we not given, giving women the right to do this? They see this. People in the world will see all these things that we have been commissioned by God to herald, to do as a sin. You know, as Christians, are we, do we see that? And, or do we see that we are going against the flow? Do we see that this world does not like the things that we do? Do we see that these were things that the Christ who have commissioned us as an evil man that goes against what they wish to do? But very much so, this is true. 
simply because what men are in is in the state of sin, in the state of rebellion against God. And so if we show them God and if we were to show them who this Christ is, even a glimpse of who this Christ is, they will be unwilling to listen. They will hate it and they will see that Christ as being evil and see themselves being good and saintly. Why am I telling us this? The thing is to often put ourselves into the shoes of others to help us reach out to them. It's very sad that this group of Jews see Jesus as an evil man, as a man this afternoon. It's very sad to see people around us seeing Christ as a terrible person, the church as a terrible association or organization. It's very sad to see that. But how active are we trying to show them, trying to, no matter how much we try to show them, no matter how much we try to convince them, it's of no avail. Ultimately, what is able to change them is through the Spirit of God, through them that they are able to see who this God is. Recently, I had a conversation with all my friends, just on, it was just on Friday, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, she talked to she was talking to me and she told me that she used to be supportive of the LGBTQ movement. <laughs> the very movement that hates the church to the core. So what the church starts doing is that the church in reaction to it, as Brother has told us before, they buy into it, they allow LGBTQ. But is that the true way of addressing the issue that is at hand? Did this man drop his bed? when the Jews charged him with it. I think he didn't. He continued to pick up his bed and continued walking away because he was commissioned by Christ. Do we have that heart when we realize that we are commissioned by Christ? Are we daring to go against the flow of this world and rebel against the world, fight against the world because recognize that this world is evil and only God is holy and righteous. So I'll end us off here today. There's a lot of questions that are raised up for us to really think through our think through and see how it applies to our lives as Christians. So I'll close us in prayer here and I will end this session today. Gracious Lord, hey Father, we thank you once again for bringing us together to look through your word in the book of John. Lord, may you grant us the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to see the truth of the word that you have proclaimed to us. Father, Lord, that we see these accounts between this poor man who has been healed, uh, the account of him and the Jews. Father, that we see that of all times we are like this poor man, that we were once dead in our sins and now alive in you, in you, our Lord. Help us to do the will that you have given to us. Help us to accomplish the commission that you have given to us, the duties that we have to work and strive for you. Lord, may you continue to bless us through our days that we may follow in accordance to your word. We thank you, Father, once again. We pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.